Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to Modern Bar Cart Live. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. This is one of our live stream episodes where we taste through a number of themed bottles to try and get a better understanding of one of the world's most fascinating spirits categories. To kick off the new year in style, we're going to crack open a few historic bottles of Jamaican-style rum and compare them to a few more widely available Jamaican expressions on the market. This is my co-founder Ethan Hall's area of growing expertise, so he is the guide on this particular flavor tour. The bottles we taste in order are Appleton Estate 8 Reserve, Smith & Cross Traditional Jamaica Rum, Forsyth's WP Single Jamaican Rum 2005, which was barrel-aged for 10 years, and then finally Forsyth's WP 502 Single Jamaican White Rum from 2015. I know those last two are a mouthful, and believe me, they're each delicious mouthfuls in their own way. So definitely stick around to hear about how those two offerings from Habitation Velier are pretty different from the stuff you can find on most liquor store shelves. No need for a whole lot of preamble on this episode, so grab a Glencairn glass and join us for this delightful four-bottle tasting of Jamaican rum. Gentlemen... It is 2021. Thank you for joining us for this. Uh, I, 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 it's not inaugural. We've done a few of these live streams so far, but it's the inaugural 2021 Modern Bar Cart Live Edition. Ethan, why don't you um, why don't you walk folks through what we are about to do as I fix our Instagram situation? Uh, so what we're going to be doing here is a one of our many because I know it's going to be many. Dives into rum. So what we wanted to do is we got some special t- some special bottles out here uh, that I've picked up over over time. Some of these are my second or third go rounds with particular ones, but I've been bugging cause to give me an excuse to open this one um, that we'll we'll be building up to. It's a uh, it's a special one. I really wanted to drink this bottle for a special occasion, but 2020 has killed all special occasions. So the special occasion is. Uh, my friend's condo and a live stream from it. Rusty, do it. We see you want to do a soundboard thing. Go ahead, do it. I mean, I just want get to it out of your system. Out. All right. Thank you for the rim shot, Rusty. It, so what we've what we've done is we've assembled a tasting of Jamaican rums here, and, and one of the things that I'm actually pretty excited about with this live stream is that uh, I'm not leading it. We've got, uh, we've got Ethan Hall taking the lead on this one. Why don't you just uh, give us a little overview on some of the work you've been doing. We call it work. What's some yeah. air quotes there. Some of the work you've been doing in the rum space over the past hmm, six months to a year and, and why you decided besides just wanting to open this beautiful bottle to, uh, to do this particular lineup here today. Sure. So as some of the uh, more unfortunate followers of the modern bar cart family of media outlets, the podcast, um, as well as just groups of our friends know, uh, I, I went down a little bit of a rum rabbit hole this, uh, this pandemic. One of the reasons was originally, and this was on a podcast you and I did, Kaz, uh, I said that Smith & Cross Jamaican rum was my favorite liquid. And that was kind of the beginning of my rum rabbit hole, and that was mm-hmm. about 
2017 when I said that. Mm-hmm. Really, the idea is I just got into it after one of your podca- podcasts started talking about Dunder Pits and Jamaican rum and all these weird fermentation things they were doing. And I finally had the wherewithal and the free time, and I live in a city where you don't have to drive, and I was told by the government, hey, don't drive anywhere. So I drank above the legal limit every day for the last eight months. What ended up happening is I started wanting to legitimize this pursuit. So books started arriving at our house. It was also a good time to understand the history of colonialism and really understand just how much I'll just say how much Europeans fucked the colonized people and started the slave trade. That was another dimension of it that became incredibly relevant, of course, throughout this past year that got me even more interested in understanding, all right, how did these, how did these weird esoteric spirits come to be? And what is the cultural history for better or for worse of these? And how are these distillers starting to reclaim some of their own, power in this and, you know, ultimately have really vibrant rum industries. So I got very excited about Jamaica. It's a long-winded way of saying all the rums we're tasting today are Jamaican rums. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain the logic of this tasting, but we have an Appleton Special Reserve 8-year, uh, very accessible, very easy to find, very, um, I won't get into the tasting notes, Smith & Cross, which is a Navy-strength British-imported blended, but blended from Jamaican rums, very funky. This is like kind of the bartender's best friend for funky uh, cocktails. It's also very easy to find. Again, it's used in a lot point. of uh, floats on cocktails. Yeah, it's really high alcohol, which is also great. But for floating, yeah, alcohol floats, as the Navy knows. Rusty, which uh, Navy declared it Navy strength? The British Navy. Russell, Navy strength. Explain. So you need higher proof rum in case it spills on your gunpowder, mm-hmm. and they're wanting to prove it. So you need a certain burn point anyway, just to prove to your sailors that it's actually strong and not watered down grog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, I mean, obviously, you know, you're at sea. So, uh, you know, imagine, imagine, you know, th- things going wrong, right? So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you lose a cask overboard and maybe, maybe you are the person in charge of doing the rum ration and, uh, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to sneak a little water in there. You try to sneak a little something that's not rum in there. Well, they're going to make you prove it. So, uh, you know, rum was taken very seriously, certainly by the British Navy. Um, if, if folks want to go back and listen to my interview with Brian Davis of Lost Spirits Distilling, he has some really fun stories in that episode about Admiral Nelson getting killed in battle and then has his body was stuffed into a cask of rum to preserve it on its way back to England, yada, yada. So a lot of fun stories about the British Navy. Uh, there are many more that we still have yet to tell. But... Um, I'm guessing that Jamaica was a British colony, yeah. right? Because generally, like, like, if I'm trying to do the the really high overview of rums, usually I'm thinking like, is it British or is it French or and, is it Spanish? And then there's a little Spanish in there too. But uh, so Jamaica British-ish. Yep. So British rums are. This is all based around why I was talking about uh, colonial exp- exploitation. The Europeans were in love with sugar. Uh, there's we'll have to do another episode where we just get into the British versus French thing because sugar beets, Napoleon, colonial possessions, wars, all great stuff. These are molasses-based rums by and large. I'm going to call it one exception, which is pretty cool. Um, and then, so basically, the Brits turned Jamaica into a sugar factory in the 16 and 1700s, and that sparked their love affair with rum. That and the fact that they hated 
the Spanish and the French, who made brandy and Madeira, which were the other potable things you could bring on a ship to keep your sailors drunk. Mm -hmm. And your body's preserved. Yes, and your body's preserved. Correct. Um, So that's, I mean, in essence, think British rums start at molasses, Jamaican rums, the, I mean, the proof is in the fermentation. They have a weird, you did that one with, that was a really early podcast episode, about dunder pits, muck pits. Mm -hmm. What I'm just going to kind of get into here is Jamaican rums typically are, they're not all wild fermented, but they do put a heavy emphasis on weird fermentations and using something called dunder, which is the leftovers inside of the pot stills. It makes the fermentation tank where you're, think of it like a sourdough starter, but way, way nastier. Yep. Um, to keep that at an even lower, you know, more acidic pH, which allows certain kinds of bacteria to form. They cast off really weird esters, which are these chemical compounds, in lieu of just making alcohol. So it is an inefficient process if your goal is to produce booze with the least number of calories. It is also a delightful thing, and the reason I like rum, because it ranges everywhere from, you know, caramel and apricot and you know, bananas, kind of like a bourbon or a rye, all the way up to nail polish. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's wild. So, yeah, I'm not going to... So, I, I brought a bunch of notes. I photocopied some stuff as though I was in the our college library yesterday out of some of the books I was reading. So, during that period of time, we counted it. You know how everyone's doing their book recaps for 2020. Mine is like three non-rum books and about eight rum books. That's a good, that's a good split, especially for this tasting. Um, yeah, so... Get rid of all those dramatic, papers. Dramatic notes, except for the worthy part ones. Okay, uh, and I've you gave me a little a uh, little rundown here too, which is which is useful, uh, printed in old man style font. So in case I need to see it from across the room, I can do that. See, um, big text. I like so, I, I think what we want to do is start tasting here. Um, Rusty, you got anything for us uh, before we before we jump in? I mean, I do. Do you like like where's your stance on rum? What's your stance on Jamaican rum in particular? You like it? So. I've had a come and go history with rum. Like I think I started out liking it. Went through a period where I think we all kind of went through trash rum. Admiral Nelson, Rally the Fleet. Yep, Rally the Fleet. And then recently, I've come back to it as like the rum and coke, the classic cocktail like that you just buy at the beach. Because I've been doing a lot of tropical trips, and I've really come to appreciate it again. It's just a relaxing, fun drink, and you, you can just pour yourself one and not feel like you have to really explore it. You can just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little lime. Call it Cuba Libre if you want to get fancy. And uh, for anybody out there listening who wants to get real, real fancy, we have a lovely cola syrup, uh, courtesy of Pratt Standard, on our e-commerce store over at modernbarcart.com. So uh, we've we've actually done a lot of fun stuff with that cola syrup recently, yeah. inc- including a little fernet experiment that we did, sort of in the back rooms of our operation. But uh, yeah, the cola syrup's great. So if you want a Cuba Libre, uh, head on over to our website, grab one of those, a little bit of bubbles, a little bit of rum, and some lime, and you're in shape. So Ethan, that being said, take us through the first spirit we're going to be tasting here in this Modern Bar Cart Live themed tasting on Jamaican rums. Beautiful. Will do. All right. So we're starting with an Appleton rum. There are a lot of Appleton Estate rums you can get. They're very easy to find. Um, their signature blend, the standard, it's a very squat. Sig- hold up the bottle, guys. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a- they all riff on this kind of shape. It's a, it's a little bulbous kind of situation. Um, this one is their eight-year, also still very accessible in terms of the price and availability. You can find it just about everywhere. This is, so Appleton Distillery, just to 
Jamaica is an island of distilleries in my mind. I know there's other things happening there. In my Coffee. mind, it's all yeah. In my mind, it's all divided up by distillers. Appleton and Ray, like Ray and nephew, same company. Um, they employed actually the first woman master blender of any distillery, uh, any distillery of like large macro note, uh, Joy Spence, and she's been doing really great work at getting the getting these products dialed in and allowing bartenders to kind of depend on them. So really, if you're just looking at the standard Appleton, the brown rum, that will make you an excellent Jungle Bird. It'll make you a lot of great cocktails, and it comes in at a super wallet-friendly price. We're not all about the money, but I am. It's like, what, for a 750, like 25 a bottle? Even less. I think yeah. I think in, I think like on a trip to Florida in the before time, I got for like 21 bucks at Publix. Um, so you can see how I buy my liquor sometimes uh, at the grocery store. Uh, yeah, so this is interesting that... Um, you know, rum breaks down along a few lines. One is how it was distilled. This is actually a blend of column and pot stills. Mm. And um, one thing that they that you know Joy points out, and there's a lot of her fingerprints on these books, is that the pots are 100% copper. They're not copper lined, which a lot of people do. Um, so let's go uh, do a little. Yeah, well, I mean, well, well, I mean, do the nose, but like one thing I want to point out right off the bat is that we're starting with the darkest spirit in our lineup here. Yep, and darkest. based on the agreed-upon rules that they set on themselves, because rum is ungovernable and ungoverned, mm-hmm. uh, they do not put additives in this. There's not additional sugar being thrown in here. So this is, as far as I know, this is the rum. Now, so it's the eight-year, the eight-year, um, and the label, it says, in fact, reserve. So this has oak age on it. Yep. And what you're telling me is that I can expect that all of this color is coming from that oak. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone someone in the Well Actually group might chime in. Sure. Um, uh, this no. one I know less about. It's funny because it's the one with the most literature on it of the rums we've got here. Fair. I mean, um, that's just the way. But uh, So second follow-up question on that. Does the eight mean eight years average or eight years at oldest or everything in here is aged eight years? I think it is. Ooh, that's a great question. Rum is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't we don't need up. an answer, but but there's something something eight about <laughs> there is something eight about this. Uh, this is the I want to give them ball. more. Uh, I want to give them more credit. I believe this is actually eight year old rum at its youngest, but sure. Um, that's one where we're going to get down into age ranges and then into a definitive age statement. You know, ultimately, I just want to like just as a quick. You know, I don't know we haven't even tasted this yet, and I'm I'm, I'm doing a, a sidebar, but um, like for people wondering like the motives behind me asking these questions it's not necessarily to pass judgment of like oh it's only good if it's eight years minimum no it's that's not the case it's just when you're evaluating things you just you want to know about the process so that you can start making informed inferences about why it tastes the way it tastes so like when don't read into me asking these questions i'm only asking them in case an answer to it is apparent and that answer can lead me to an explanation for something that can lead me to appreciate it more so for what it's worth all right boys um give me some nose and some tasting notes I want to move through this one, not because I don't think it deserves the mm-hmm. time, but because we got four rums. Oh, and this is this is also a bit of a, you know, this is like our like getting. This is like, we would know we would call this a calibrator. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah, so I get, I, 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 like, you can tell almost right away, at least from, from my nose, that it's molasses-based. Like, you get that deep, dark, it's not a Demerara, right? Like, a Demerara has almost, like, a more confectionary thing. This is this has almost, like, a more oily, yep. like, approaching the, the nail polish on the nose. Yeah, molasses is a byproduct of sugar manufacturing. They were looking for something to do with all that molasses. Smells burnt. Smells not, not burnt in, like, a charred way, but burnt in, like, a well-cooked way. Rusty, what are you getting? I'll be honest, like, the nose is pretty light. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting too much on the nose, but when I taste it, I get that, I'm mm. assuming from the barrels, that vanilla. Yep. It's very vanilla mm. to the point where I would almost say there's vanilla beans in it. It's American oak. That's unsurprising. What's the proof on that one, Kaz? I forget. It is 42%. That sounds about right. Sorry, 43%. Yeah, these come in just above um, just above standard liquor. I like me a 43%. It's a good percent. Mm. Keeps people on their toes. 86 proof. Pretty standard in bourbons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I- one other thing I just want to throw in here. Again, Joy Spence making this a very consistent line. Um, I'm calling this one out here, and I do get it, is that all the Appleton rums come with a very distinctive orange peel top note mm-hmm. that she is proud of getting the consistency in there year after year after year. Um, she's a businesswoman. I'll give I'll give it a candied orange peel for sure. Yeah. Like the, like this is not like somebody just expressed a fresh orange peel, but it, it does have like almost like a Grand Marnier note to it, if that Ooh, makes yeah. sense. Oh yeah, right. I can definitely taste that. Um, this would, you know, not to punt, but when we think about what would you actually put this in? This is a cocktailer's rum in my mind, and this is an old fashioned. I mean, yeah, I, this it's is so just, easy as an old fashioned. And at the American Oak, like the other thing that you get on the finish, you get like you get a decent amount of char on the finish, which is not something that I always pull out of American Oak. Um, but it does like w- when I say char, what I mean is like yeah, you're tasting a little bit of like the literal toasting flaming of the barrel, but you're also getting some some phenolic structure to that, it, like dries out the back of your palate a little bit, and mm-hmm. so I'm getting some of that char. Rusty, you taste any apples by any chance? It's from Appletown afterward, after all. I was about to ask that because, like, the moment I read the name, and probably because I'm staring at it, you guys aren't actually looking at the labels as much as I am. I just instantly assume when someone puts Appleton on the label that I'm going to taste something with apples. Like, it's a bias that came into my palate before I ever had a sip. I was like, oh, I'm just going to taste kind of like fruity. Yeah. It's actually more vanilla and mm-hmm. has that orange. Like on top. baked apple, maybe. Yeah, what I'll give it is, this is actually my main criticism of Buffalo Trace bourbon, is that for me, for whatever reason... It doesn't taste like buffalo? Well, yes. Uh, I actually have some buffalo chili going in the other room and some trout smoking in the courtyard, but uh, but, uh, no, when I taste Buffalo Trace bourbon, um, it tastes like apple-y to me, and it's just, it's distracting. I don't know, it might be a flaw in my personal palate, but it's just, like, distracting. But, yeah, I I get a little bit, like, baked or dried apple. Well, at the end, that drying uh, quality that you were saying, I get green apple. That's why Mm. I put it in my notes. Oh, interesting. kind of forget about green apples, to be honest. I don't know if I get that, but I can see there's, there's like, a little bit of bitterness going on that I I could see kind of, like, going into, like, a Granny Smith peel type type situation. Um, So, so yeah, I mean... Imagine walking into a liquor store, picking this up for twenty-two to twenty-five dollars. Oh, this one's more in like the twenty-five to thirty range. Oh, the Appleton eight. eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So their Sorry. base expression is going to be a little bit more affordable, but the eight years is going to be so. Let's say under thirty dollars. This is a perfectly beautiful little rum. Um, I think it. I think it begins to get us into what Jamaican rum is and can be. But I think our next uh, next one is going to kind of blow the top off that. Any any final notes before we switch to the Smith & Cross? 
I'm going to be honest, like, you could be really lazy and just serve this straight up neat as an old-fashioned with an ice cube mm-hmm. and not do anything to it. Yeah. It does It does have a good amount of residual sweetness. And actually, I think the residual sweetness, um, Ethan, see if you can give me a spoiler here. Do any of these add sugar? No, they can't by law so, or by rule. It's not quite law, but in Jamaica, they agree not to, do, not to fuck with it the way that Okay. You'll see others doing. So knowing that for the rest of this tasting, there's no what we would call dosage here. No, right. no, no uh, sort of external sweeteners added. Uh, I think that the sweetness level is something that we should uh, take a moment to to talk about. It. So that's that, that's a good call, Rusty, on the on the sweetness. Yeah, definitely, this is an oaky rum. It, like that is one of the things that I don't. I mean, we've we've gone back and forth about this. One of the interesting things is the bourbonization of rum, that the idea is that aging, you need to age the crap out of it, make it taste more like bourbon so that you can steal those consumers, which I get. Um, if I was trying to run a rum distillery, I'd be, I'd be after those people yeah, too. It's not wrong. They'll spend a lot of money. It's, um, but it's a nice, it's a pleasant oaky rum. Um, I like it. It was a good baseline to start us. Now let's get into what I would call the most, what do you, it's, it's, it is a, it is just a, a Jamaican rum. This is what British people thought of as Jamaican rums, which mm-hmm. is why this is actually a British rum mm. with imported base spirit from Jamaica. Yep. So they distill it in Jamaica, a couple different um, spirits. They bring them to England. They blend them. Then they age them in England. Um, that one, I... So you got to tell no, me I where these actually, things are aged. I should have actually taken a look at that. Um, what we're what we're dealing here with uh, dealing with here is uh, this is based out of a tradition of getting a bunch of stuff off the docks, that the, which the British have been doing since time immemorial, um, blending and putting it back on the boats to send out with the sailors on, in the Navy. It's a really minimalist, beautiful label. I love it. Um, and then it has these words that just sound kind of made up and cutesy. Plumber and Wetterburn. It's, uh, but it actually has a meaning. So these are two different um, ester-level Rums. So esters huh. being the chemical byproducts of that fermentation, the yeast and the bacteria um, that give you those interesting flavors and smells uh, that are that make it different from a vodka. Um, now, our, our plumber and uh, was it Wetterburn? Are those like uh, Fahrenheit and Celsius in mm. terms of scales? Those are or are those two different rum? There like is a scale rums? that, and I do not remember the exact numbers. Um, so there are smarter people than myself. I will create a chart and put it together for when we get into deep dive number two, three, five, twenty, um, which I envision one day. Uh, Plumber is a level of ester. Wetterburn is another level of ester content. Mm. So what you're getting... So what this is, is it's a blend of Hampton Estate rums. Hampton originally was really just there to be blended. They now make single rums. They're delightful. A single rum, for the record, is a single expression off of the pot. There's no blending involved. And then it may get aged, but again, all one start to finish to the bottle. It's a Hampton estate and they're known for super high ester rums that you can dope in there to get the uh, funk content up. It's all ester means funk. We'll just put that in there. In common parlance. Yep. Um, and you've got a six month Wetterburn style high ester and then 18 to 36 month medium bodied plumber, which is a little bit lower in the esters and it's in ex bourbon casks. So you get some of those. Tr- so we're still not, we're still in the world of Appleton but we're starting to 
we're starting to move on to the edge cases. Yeah, well, and and there, there's there's a, another reason why we are no longer in in the world of Appleton, at least for this bottle, and that's because it's fifty seven percent alcohol by volume. Yes, this is a Navy rum through mm-hmm. and through, and uh, it's a little bit lighter in color. And I mean, you got to be careful. So you know, notice that we didn't actually put any water in into the first one. None of us did because it was just such a pleasant sipping experience. With the Smith and Cross, you can certainly. I mean, you can sip it straight. Yeah. Um, but oh. we're gonna we're gonna have to put some water in here and see what happens. One other background note before we start: this is the only of one of these three that uses molasses, cane juice, and cane syrup. So rums, the only through line there is sugar. But in but really, it's the French who and the Haitians who do the cane syrup, the cane juice, cane syrup rums. This one uses all three, so cool. they're they're not they're not like kind of. They're not attaching themselves to tradition necessarily. They're just trying to make the like the clean expression of Jamaican rum, which is not a clean expression. Right. It's well, a funky and, expression. And like down the road, what we're gonna have to do, like even just based on the stuff you're talking about, like you've got molasses, cane juice, cane syrup. You've got two different type of ester contents. You've got one in American oak, the other one's aged, but you didn't see in what saying what kind of barrels. So we've got already like a three by three by several yeah. factor matrix that we should probably figure out to see what's in this rum because I'm having a hard time getting it straight in my head, which isn't a problem. It's a beautiful product. It's a known known. We love Smith and Cross, but it would be awesome to start being able to like actually pick out the the individual decisions each step along the way. So if we can put together some sort of graphic like that for you, uh, you can you can assume that it will get posted to the show notes page for this episode over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. So let's dive in and uh, taste on this one. Yeah, what are you getting on the nose, Ethan? Um, hmm. I'm getting, I hate to keep going back to the molasses. Um, it's, like, I'm from Pennsylvania Dutch country. This is shoe fly pie to me. Ooh. Heavy, dark, burnt, in a good way, black molasses. I like me a good chuffly pie. That's shoe. how they spell it, right? No, S-H-O-O. Oh, really? It's like shoe fly. I feel like, um, there, I feel like there was another one that spelled um, it. Shoe way. fly pie, treacle, you know, all the molasses-based... Oh, treacle. That's a good one. Well, it's British. British. What this does is a treacle quintess- mean? It's a what's that? It's a it's a toffee molasses kind of situation, right? Yeah, it's kind of like um, as far as I understand, I've never actually tasted it, so I <laughs> tend not to throw it around as a tasting note. But it's it's almost like um, like molasses rock candy type type yeah, situation. That's, that's how I understood it to be. Um. Yeah, and then on the tasting, I told you this beforehand. I've started to create a shorthand for Smith and Cross, which is that this is just. High proof, low sugar banana liqueur. It is super banana y, mm, like brown so banana. bananas. Brown bananas. Yeah, it's like getting ready to make banana bread. Uh, and there are there are some, like, as soon as you say that, you're like, oh, there's some kind of baked bready notes in the background, at least on the nose. Um, I would just like to point out in the order of this, I didn't do it on purpose, but we like to drink, drink, drink apple rums and banana rums. No, oh, great. So Rafi is going to make his way into the stream. Um, yeah, the other thing that uh, really sticks out on this one it, for me is that it, it has a numbing quality that goes beyond its its alcohol content. I'm gonna pipette it just to prove my yep. point. It's yeah, time like for that. Half my tongue is numb. The back half, right? No, um, front half. For really, me. Russell? There's a button on the soundboard for that. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much, Rusty. Yeah, I would say the uh, when I sniff it, I I taste a lot of or smell a lot of black pepper. Mm, yeah. Do you guys get that? I get like it on the Mal- taste. Like, what is it? Malbar, black pepper? The Malabar, yeah. Yeah. Like, I actually get more of it on the nose when the water 
is in there because we just put maybe what like an ml ml and a half of water for each of us. Um, I gave you about uh, I gave you about 0.75 mLs of water in yep. there. Yep. Uh, not a ton. Just brought it down a little bit um, to get into the banana thing. This is uh, I'm going to do shout outs. It doesn't really necessarily help if you guys can't open, but you know the banana thing really kicked off in my mind about. 10 or 15 bottles of this ago when I was living in Massachusetts, there was a, uh, there's a combined sort of two bars, two restaurants in one, uh, Alden and Harlow and Longfellow in Cambridge. You guys rock. They did a rotten banana infused rum old fashioned that was off the charts. Now that I'm tasting this again, more thoughtfully again, 15 bottles later, I'm wondering if they actually did the thing with the banana or if they just told us they did. They probably did it. Oh, they definitely did. It, but, uh, yeah, you guys rock. Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, one of the things that I'm noticing with the addition of the water too is that I get like almost, um, almost like a fatty, like a salted butter quality to it on the back of the tongue. Like, like it a, gives me, it gives kind me toffeeish. Like a for me, it's like very much salted like, butter, like southern butter cake. Like, take your banana bread and put some Kerrygold on it, and then maybe griddle that a little bit in the pan. Sure, sure. Yeah, like like literally, literally Kerrygold. So, yeah, that, that's why I love adding water, especially to these higher proof spirits, because it really brings out some interesting notes. And and I, you know, uh, this is me coming from like coming from my spirits judging lens, and you know, it really pays to take a little bit of time with your spirits, because to me, like, how many times have I had Smith and Cross? Like dozens and dozens of times. And yet, I've never actually just sat here, put a little bit of water in it, and seen what happens. And like all of a sudden, like to me, salted butter, like it's nice yeah. and savory. Suddenly, that blends in with the sweetness of the banana, and I'm like, whoa! Suddenly, this is way more interesting. And because it's just straight filtered water, and not, uh, it doesn't come with the temperature change of the ice cube. I can sense it better because usually, like, well, I drink this on a rock occasionally. Yeah, but without that rock, like I just get this beautiful flavor that I don't think I ever would have ever like just pulled out. Can I ask a? I'm gonna ask a really f- almost philosophical question because this came to mind. It was something I think about the other day when I was actually drinking a gift Ethan gave me, which is, do you guys think that the way the energy you bring, the itinerary you bring to drinking affects your taste? Like when you're going, like what you just said, cause like. Yeah. I never really sat there and just like poured a little glass and put a little drop of water in there and just enjoyed like the taste of Smith and Cross, even though you've been around it for years. I agree. Like, I think a lot of times, like, my taste is affected by my agenda. A hundred percent. Yes. I think yeah. what we're trying to do here is create a new agenda for our tasting by doing these episodes. Like, we're like, let's just sit back, pour an ounce or so into a glass and really try it without having like, hey, here's the stress of my day rolling onto me and I'm pouring my drink to try to put away eight hours of a crazy freaking work day negotiating a deal. Sure. Yeah, yeah. and I think what I was going to say with the Smith & Cross, this is the last one I'm going to put a cocktail on because the last two are a different breed altogether, is this is the backbone of every jungle bird I make properly. This is a this is where you really want to add a little bit of flair for your guests it is a it is a bold rum. It is trying to get in your face. It is kicking down the like I'm just gonna say like this is um to kind of invoke a um someone that Russell and I follow closely and cause kind of regrettably has to deal with. Um they are the barbarians at the gates of Flavortown battering 
at the battering at the walls trying to get in. It is just it is just trying to take over. And that's a good thing. And for you know, I've seen it as low as 26 bucks as high as 35 bucks. Anywhere in that range I consider it a, a especially at 57% alcohol like it goes a real long way. Yeah. Well, and if you think about Please the fact that uh, that the distillers have to pay taxes on that extra alcohol and and are still able to give it to us at a price point that's pretty agreeable, then you know that's that's I would say as much, if not more, of a victory as the Appleton Eight. So um, yeah, just one one quick thing before we move on to sort of like the two um, the two big boys in this tasting. Uh, I really like Rusty's philosophical question because it, I God I think about it a lot. Um, my personal philosophy with tasting is one that just like I'm just willing to revise my opinions given any new piece of information. And for me, like that little buttery note that I got on that Smith and Cross was like, oh, that's like a wonderful new piece of information. It's like, huh, maybe this is something I need to think about a little bit. And and I, I think that's con- that hey, that's a lot of work. What what I, I and I think that I have a privilege that a lot of people don't in that I get to do this work day in and day out and sit here and think about this stuff day in and day out. And whereas most people are, when they try to drink something, they're just trying to enjoy it. And so earlier we were talking about like the, the bourbonification of rum and uh, like how different people basically just try to force rum onto bourbon drinkers because age rum and, and bourbon drinkers seem to be a good match. And like, uh, I, 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 that I can't really get, on with that personally because it's like there's so many agendas in there like as as rusty was just saying like the agendas that we bring to things tend to color our our tastings of them so that's why like granted like yes do we have all these bottles in front of us yes do we have a bunch of information great um but the way we're trying to do this is we're trying to give this information to you in a way that's useful and doesn't necessarily cloud your judgment like we're not saying necessarily any of these bottles right now are better than the others. I mean, these these two special ones here at the end are just going to be special each in their own way. But like, yeah, I, 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 I think a lot about agendas and tasting. And it's something that I think that if you're trying to get more serious about tasting, it's worth your time to think about. Like if you're not trying to get serious about tasting, don't, don't worry about it. Just have fun. But like if you are, I really think it pays to like think about the agendas that you bring in uh, and and to try and at least try and try and make it as pure as possible when when you're doing it because then you do get those lovely surprises like the one that I just got. Yeah. I wasn't planning for that. Yeah. Note on that just uh, philosophically again. This goes back to uh, what the psychedelics researchers would term uh, set and setting. Right. And I do think you can exchange you can take that into all intoxicants and states of mind. You're alter. You're altering your consciousness. Yeah, it is dependent on set and setting because, you know, I don't love the just the blanket billing of alcohol is a depressant, but yeah, it, the so therefore you should not you should avoid it while depressed. It's a much lo- more loaded set of topics that we should get into with a psychiatrist. It's a matter of what yeah, where are you coming into this? Why are you drinking this? Yeah, what's what's your baggage? And are you willing to get rid of a little bit of that baggage, at yeah. least for a moment, in hopes that maybe you'll get a surprise. I like the surprises. Yeah. So speaking of surprises, All right. how about you freaking surprise me? Because we haven't tasted this one. Now tell us why we're tasting an aged before an unaged here in this sort of comparison tasting that you're giving us, Ethan. All right, I'm gonna give you a dual history, how I got these and why these rums matter. All right, firstly, 
these are both more or less identical bottles. Yep. It is a, uh, I'm not going to try to uh, do the accent, Habitation Velier. It's an Italian blender and distributor of rums. With and, a French name. Yeah, I know. Weird. Um, <laughs> they're really big on getting interesting rums, putting them together in identical bottles, and uh, charging a fat price for them. So I bought the cheaper unaged one over here first uh, during, again, the rum the rum pandemic obsession. And then eventually, I'm really glad I had this poor judgment sprung for something that was way outside um, that was a bit of a reach for me. I'm a little embarrassed about it, but very happy I have it. Um, now, a history of the of Worthy Park Distillery. Yeah, so take, take us through some of the names, because we got Forsyth's uh, WP, right? So yeah, WP so is Worthy Park. Yeah, so these come out of the Worthy Park Distillery in Jamaica. Um, the So, bit of history on this one. They have been an active sugar plantation since 1670. So we're talking old. Uh, they... What they one of the more interesting things that they got uh, over time was they became the most efficient sugar producer in Jamaica um, around the 1960s. So we're talking about like a sugar factory more or less. Um, again, Jamaica being a sugar factory for the British. Um, there's a lot of steampunk stuff going on there. I'm also going to do like a steampunk and distilling at some point because I do think that's the difference for Jamaican rums was the amount of copper and analog technology they use, but. There was a situation, and um, I don't think he's watching. I wish he was, but um, he would also probably shake his head because I'm getting it a little bit wrong. Matt Petrick uh, told me that after World War II, Jamaica as an island had a glut of rum production, uh, in part because they just couldn't get it past the U-boats for all that time. And so overproduction put them in an economic position where... Can, can you imagine a bunch of stone Jamaican guys trying to figure out a way to get their rum off the island and there's just U-boats? Well, the other thing is there's going to be a really stern, very sunburned British guy just shaking his head every time every time one of his schemes isn't executed. That's fair. Um, you got to remember what, what the colonial possessions looked like pre-1945 and post. Um, but the Jamaican rum producers had, you know, they're... Look, this is both like a good and a bad thing. Again, a thing we're going to have to get into. It's like politics, economics, all woven into here. But there's something called the Spirits Pool Association of Jamaica. So they kind of all put, it's like OPEC. They put all their eggs in one basket. They put a bunch of rum together to get in part market power, but also be able to offer the widest breadth of products to blenders. So it was very hard prior to a couple of years ago to get single Jamaican rums. You would get a Smith and Cross. You would get a The Funk. You would get something that some blender got a bunch of different rums and got tooled in their flavor that they wanted. And then they bottled it and charged uh, charged a premium. So the Spirits Pool of Association Spirits Pool Association of Jamaica convened everyone in what was probably the most fun but serious summit of rum ever. And Worthy Park agreed to stop distilling for a period of time because they were making so much that it was driving down the price. Um, that was back, you know, just after World War II. So there was a good five, almost six decades where they weren't operating. And then 2004, Worthy Park lifted that cap. They kicked the distillery back into gear and they started making rum again. And In 04, so they went from like the 60s to 04? Even longer. Is like the 60s was when their sugar production. So this is the other thing to note is most of these are working sugar producing um, farms that also have 
distillation on site. So they're literally like soil to. Oh mouth. yeah, yeah. They, there's a pipe running from the sugar processing plant at Worthy Park to their distillery, and that's what brings the internet to their distillery. Yes, it's molasses internet, so it's kind of slow. Slows molasses. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. So this first one. The, this first guy... That was more um, of a rim shot situation, Rusty. That's a, Thank you. Um, so this first guy is a 2005. So again, they restarted. And in 2007, they actually started bringing in um, more modern equipment. But what you see on the front of the bottle that Russell showed you is a representation of the Forsyth's pot still with a double retort coming out of Scotland. Ooh, a double retort? Is that is that... So double and re, so that's double, double. So that's four torts. Four torts. Wow. Um, lawyers are having a field day. As are bakers. Yes. Um, so this is this is at barrel proof. Almost spilled a beer. I'm just going to put this uh, right here. Um, so, yeah. What we're talking about right now is a 2005 rum that was aged on site for 10 years. So this second one is coming off of their new equipment. And actually is unaged. So we're we're seeing the original, the OG equipment. And that's what's so special about this bottle, right? Like There's it, it, like, so many things special about this bottle. This is the first rum that they made after they closed down. When you say original equipment, you mean real, real original? Oh, no, no, original, not, not like 16, seven, no, not okay. like 1670s. Like I just pre- want to clarify for well, well, Where did the equipment go? Like, tell me about this equipment. Where did it go after? I have no idea. It sounds they like they decommissioned it. it? Yeah, it sounds like it. Like a battleship. Huh. Interesting. Well... All right, so this is barrel proof. Yeah, so it's 57.8% ABV. Yeah. Yep. And um, because is this is a European one, rum... It's 115.6%. Uh, since this is a European per, rum, it actually has serving per. sizes and nutrition facts. So, Let's not read those. Uh, 159.7 calories <sighs> per serving. Uh, they also attempt to measure their ester levels. This is like a prescription bottle's level of information on the outside of a rum bottle. Yeah, don't get me into, maybe if we have a little bit of time, we can we can get into measuring ester levels, but don't get me into it right now, because let's talk about the, wow. So this let's is, talk about the naris on this bad boy. This is a lot. Yeah. Oh, just wait, Russell. It's lovely. I mean, you one, one of the things that I get on this, this really cool that I don't necessarily expect from a rum is sort of like a dusty perfumey quality, almost like the almost like a frankincense. I get dusty, dusty perfumey, but it, it's got like a sweetness, like a camphory sweetness on the nose. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of like fancy writing leather, leather. Mm. Like, oh yeah, I'm getting like a the lot good, of leather. the good element of leather, like that, like refreshingness, that like deep, rich. Not like that old baseball glove that's been in the closet for like a decade. Hmm. This has uh, this has smoke on the nose. The alcohol burn is there. It is a I get like a heather smoke or like you know like you know in Scotch people talk about their their different uh, peat sourcing and they talk about like the floral peats versus the briny peats and stuff like this is like a briny peat. Is that your father in law? Briny peat is in fact my father in law. Shout out to Pete Murphy, uh, who is currently on a Bloody Mary kick as well as a Chartreuse kick. So that's a complicated co-kicking. Yeah, it's uh, he's he's a man of he's a a man of many talents. All right. So have you guys tasted this yet? Because no, I can't. I can't get there's something on the nose. It's like um, milk chocolate streusel. Mm. I get like a I get like a I remember when I was in high school 
you could get like a couple of cookies or like there's they came in like a little wax paper. All right. Anyways, I know what you're talking about the crumbly, like, like crumbly brown sugar streusel. topping. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Rusty. Uh, anyway, it's, it smells just like stru- like cinnamon streusel, but like bad st- cinnamon streusel or undercooked cinnamon streusel cookies because this is like sending me back to my high school cafeteria. There's something that smells like unfinished. Yeah, um, and maybe that's the yeast, right? Because like I, I don't know, like maybe there's some yeast like, and bacteria. There's man. some like Probably there's some like lees in. I mean, not lees in the in the wine sense, but like anyway. All right, I'll take I'll. T- I'll I'll do a palate and stop deliberating on the nose. It's hot. It's it's very spicy. And that sends me into scotch territory. This sends me into like a Speyside um, brandy, like a Madeira brandy finished scotch situation. I definitely see the Madeira, like aged yeah. barrels. Well, it has an oxidative factor, right? So, like, the Madeira... Madeira is notorious for... Well, notorious... <laughs> the way they make it is they... You know, in most or many cases, they'll actually, like... It, they'll leave it out in the sun. They'll put... They'll, or they'll apply heat to it. And so that's where you get the oxidative factor. And I'm getting, like... Like, if you were... If this were a scotch right now, I'd be like, this is definitely, like, a Madeira or, like, a, a oxidized wine-finished... But this this isn't right. So so we're getting these notes specifically from the rum and the barrels. Yep. And does it? Is, do we know anything about the barrels? I couldn't get a bead on the barrels. It is. Uh, I think the barrels are kind of secondary here. This is Caribbean aging. This is. Yep. This is Caribbean Hot. aging. This is long fermentation. Well, and think about stop like long fermentation. This is a Scottish still. No well, wonder it tastes like scotch. Well, it's a Scottish still, but Caribbean fermentation or Caribbean aging. What what is what is the one characteristic of Caribbean aging? Hurricanes, heat, oxidation, right? They're yeah, aging hurricanes. This, hurricanes. Yeah, hurricanes. Um, it is. I mean, the other thing that I'm really getting in here, and it's uh, it's it's not that sweet. No, it's very dry, which is again why it drives me toward like a single malt. Right, because we I was talking about the bourbonization of rum. Not only is there no sugar being added, minimal sugar is coming off these barrels into the rum, mm. which is different from that Appleton. Very different, yeah. I have a question about barrels. Yeah. And, and this is kind of a tangent. How did, like, barrels, it, I guess, American bourbon barrels weren't available to them in 1790. Right. Correct. Heck, I doubt they were available to them in 1850 because of all the... Like, the bourbon entry. wasn't really even bourbon at that point. Well, and like, you know, they aren't going to go to get French oak casks because they weren't dealing with France for a while. Yeah. Well, they were the dealing early, with them with their cannons. Yeah. There was a slight Napoleonic effort. Yeah. That kind of like... <laughs> Napoleonic effort. That's all I'm going to teach it if I ever have to homeschool my kids. I guess rum was evolving, let's say, from the 1600s onward. And at some point, we all start get putting them in standardized barrels. And nowadays, we're like, oh, yeah, someone throws something in a bourbon barrel. We just take that for granted, and that should be how it tastes. But, like, you go back a couple hundred years, you got something aged for eight years. Was it because they left it on the boat by accident for eight years? Or was it because they actually let it, like, set it down for eight years? Right. And intended it to be left for eight years. Like, at what point did we're like, oh, this is how we should age rum. This is the type of barrel we should use yeah. to age it. Industrial booze factories and 
is how I would term the way that Europe looked at these rum distilleries for a while. Yeah, and booze as a commodity, not booze as an as, Just a, as, a, high as an art piece, right? We're, we're right right now. What we're drinking is booze as a piece of art. Yeah, and what Russell's getting at is an interesting piece because it still does live on the Cooperage traditions down there. Oh my and God. I am so, um, honey. If you're watching, uh, my fiance and I would uh, we fun we yeah no she's not I'm looking <laughs> um, we. We uh, we finally have agreed, because I'm not a beach person, she is, but uh, I will be intending to either take some trips to Martinique, Demerara, Jamaica. Demawawa. Demi- I don't know if there's a beach there. I know there's not, but it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I really want to see this for myself, but because it's not, it, until recently, until the, I'll just call it the industrialization, the recolonialization of this industry, you would just be, you would you know, have these barrels, kind of like the one that's out on your de- out in your uh, courtyard. You have these barrels that are kind of serviceable. You got a guy who's knowledgeable about how to get them back into service, hammering a different stave in there to patch it up, yep. to get it to a point where it can age the rum. It was not scientific or consistent until people thought, until someone signaled that there was value in that. And now you've got ex-bourbon casks where they're like, well, these ex-bourbon casks came from this year from the Elvin Williams distillery. And you got a bunch of, well, actually guys down there trying to help them out and God help them. Yeah. Well, and one other thing that I do want to point out, uh, you know, Rusty, you were sort of contrasting the bourbon tradition with the rum tradition. And in as far as like, you know, we're tasting a bunch of bourbon barrel stuff, but there were no bourbon barrels for all for a, a large portion of this tradition. Well, there are people who speculate that the actual charring of barrels that were used to yep. house spirits was actually uh, undertaken in order to eliminate some of the flavor of the stuff that those barrels held previously. Mm-hmm. Like so, smoked fish. Smoked, yes. Yeah, like na- like nasty stuff. And they're like, Possibly well, Admin Nelson's body. Yeah, that, that, I don't know. I'd take, a, I'd take a pull of that. I'd take a pull of that. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, actually, that, to me is something that actually those two traditions share. It's like, well, why we char in this barrel? Because there was some nasty stuff in there. They were probably doing other stuff that was similar in the Caribbean back then. And again, like, you also have to, like, that question to me brings us back to one of the really important points about rum, which is rum as a commodity versus rum as a piece of art, right? So, like, we're, we're tasting a piece of art and a piece of history right now for the large portion of its career so to speak and still to this day for the most part rum is just a commodity it's a way to save sugar and you know export calories and keep surly sailors happy at certain points in history so and if you look at it from a commodity perspective yeah barrels don't freaking matter um but if you look at it as an art piece that's when it starts to matter so the really the interesting zone is the gray zone in between those two perspectives at least for me yeah so I want to get some final thoughts on this. We're going to yeah. just return to this after the show because my God, there's is, so much is left like scotch, in. dude. I'm not going to finish this right now because I am. All right, Russell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pipe uh, me a little bit. Mm. Boop, boop, boop. So good with some water in it. All right, one last look with the water opening it up, and then right. let's. I gave uh, you five drops. I want you to start using drops. Will you guys cheers? Should we cheers on my mic then yours? Oh, that's amazing. Two cheers. 
lots of eye contact. What's up, IG Live? We're we're actually sort of I I got a, a slightly different IG Live setup, so we're actually we have both of our faces currently on IG Live, which is really nice to me. I see I see some folks over there commenting, are which they? is great. They are on my phone. All right. So, uh, opened up. What is this uh, quickly so we can get onto this? Why? Well, actually, I'm. I think we might be finishing with my favorite favorite expression. So it is. is yeah, the next one is just phenomenal. Um, again, I'm coming back to milk chocolate. Milk chocolate. Okay, I like that. I was gonna say this is a little stanky now. Uh, yeah. It's a. It's stank. fustier now. Yeah, fusty. That's a good it's, one. It's um. It's basement. It is old barn warehouse. Yeah, old warehouse. Yeah, the, you get some. You get some like dustiness in there. Old warehouse is a cheap. Uh, is a cheap discount bourbon that I'm afraid some of my forklift operators at my day job might be uh, dipping into during their shifts. You know what? The palate doesn't change all that much for me though. With just those five drops of water, uh, it gets a little softer because the ABV is down a little bit, but. You just it to me. It's just Speyside Scotch. I can fuck with it at fifty-seven. The only thing I would caution against saying Speyside Scotch is whose flavors are we I, talking about? I uh, I don't know. It's not a category I'm well acquainted. Like, like what if not, you took the guy from Worthy Park, put him in a like put him in an isolation tank, and then sent him over to Scotland? Would he be saying aged rum when he tastes all these scotch? Probably not. But but. Uh, and and yet I was saying rum 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 on these two, yeah. And they were also from the island where he uh, operates. So, you know, for, for what it's worth, yeah. I mean, it kind of had a way more of a uh, solid saltiness to it. Yeah, like right mm-hmm. in the middle of my tongue, right where the salt hits. Like you know, the grain salt, not like your standard table salt. No, it's like a brine. Exactly. Yeah. Like you could feel it, taste it, texture. And that's where I thought about hurricanes. I mean, it's it's a cool spirit. This one is going to take a while for me to get through. It's uh, what do so you mix for that anybody in? who wants to know where Ethan lives, just uh, email podcast at modernbarcart.com and we'll negotiate. Yeah, um, we'll just say that this is the highest dollar value uh, bottle on my bar currently. Currently, it's on my bar. Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Moving wrap, on. Wrapping up our tasting here. We you, uh, This rem- is the WP502. So the difference here is again. So same producer. Go yeah, but going back through history, now we're now we are fifteen years later. So these are the double retort pot sills brought in by Forsyths and installed at Worthy Park in two thousand five. But it's this picture on the front is the same picture. Same still. Same still. Same still. Okay. Same still, longer fermentation. Ooh. No barrels. Three months of fermenting, which if anyone, Three months. If anyone wants to know how long fermentation takes, not that long. Three whole months. Yeah, so uh, the, your average rum producer is fermenting for a couple of days maybe because those uh, yeasts, you can dope in, and we didn't really talk about this much, but you can dope in uh, distiller's yeast. You can add in different cultures. You can do wild, all wild. They you can add more sugar so they have more to eat. Yeah, so they do a bit of a combination, but the Worthy Park... Um, and the Hampton uh, fermentation tanks, they're made of metal. They look like wood on the outside. They are so corroded and weird and funky. So, like, so rusted over? Rusted over, molded over. Like, are you going to take scrapings while you're there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to steal some scrapings. Um, they better so, frisk you. Yeah. Oh, I hope they do. Um, so what we're dealing with here is a 
Um, Rusty, do you also want to text people that were on the last on the last bottle? I'm doing that right now. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks, buddy. Um, so, yeah, th- these stills had been on and cranking for about uh, 10 years when they went about doing this one. Or is it five? No, it's ten. Uh, so what this is is a... So uh, we're going from a 2005 to 2015. 2015. Correct. And this is 100%, again, single rum, same pot still that that did. What's our proof? Uh, we're talking 57%. So very similar. Uh, this was this has this is a uh, I'm not even going to talk about these like ester contents because you don't believe in it. Um, but this was a molasses only rum, and it is. And to be fair, Worthy Park has been making unaged rums. They make rum bar, for example. I tried to get a bottle of that to bring in instead as a straw man. It's out of stock. It is a very popular. Um, like you make a tea punch with it, right. just lime sugar mixed. To your liking? Are we liming? You just Ooh, we said could lime. Make a tea punch like everyone does that on like a Saturday. Um, oh. I mean, if they did, the Russell, I, I think you might. You, Russell might be thinking of T E A, T I. Yeah, tea punch is basically a oh. uh, basically a jankier daiquiri. It's a I, dang, it's a hand mixed daiquiri at the table I'm with sorry. maybe some ice. If you guys don't know about this, our man Cause here makes an amazing old school colonial era tea punch. Yes, with using using tea as like one of the larger ingredients. That's why. That's but why he I also this. drinks uh, pitchers of tea punch, and things don't go so well. Uh, yeah, well. Um, so this one, crystal clear, unaged. Sorry. So the whole point is, we is it filtered? No. What? How is it crystal clear then? Because it came off a of still. No kidding. Um, so this oh, is you learn something every day. This is, but this is from five years ago. The reason why the five years ago is significant is because it has been incredibly hard in the U.S. to get the same quality and diversity of rum that they've been getting in these colonizer countries. So this colonized like or the, colonized colonizer, colonizer. yeah. So Velier, like the UK, again, brought the EU, shipped this back from Europe, and this is my second bottle. So this is the first of the absurd weirdo rums that I've bought a second time because shout out Ace Beverage in uh, Northwest DC. Ace Bev, sponsor us, baby. Please, please. No, we'll just, uh, I'll just come and buy your liquor. Um, so one thing I want to get out of this one last, one last item is when you nose it, this is the nail polish I was talking about before. <sighs> it's so oh, good. I just lost like three nasal hairs. It is so hot. Uh, but I also get Apricot, I got rotten banana. Again, really great flavors. Rotten nail polish. Yeah. No, it's it's uh yeah, this is this is this is fun actually because we are about to on the main podcast, we are about to launch an episode of Breaking Bloody, hopefully by the end of this month, that uh explores a topic called benign masochism. And uh, the idea behind benign masochism is that it's like, you know, eating super spicy peppers or stuff like that. Like stuff that should objectively just be no bueno, no fun. All right, you're on a you're on a soundboard prohibition for the rest of the yeah. rest of the episode. I actually felt Rusty. bad I had We're gonna put you in at all. Russell. You guys yeah. explained it to me and I'm like, this seems pointless. Yeah. All right. So but but anyway, so like the the question remains, like what why? Do you enjoy nail polish? Why do you enjoy rotten, rotten bananas? And it is with, because with perhaps why do you enjoy? All right, you know the seasonally appropriate tag: a greasy black peel. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I can do a pretty good, uh, pretty good approximation of that song when I get my voice, when I get my pipes a little bit deeper. Yeah. Uh, what I'm getting out of this one that's really interesting is the same things that you would get from a blue cheese. On the nose or on the palate? What are we talking? On the palate. It's got some salt. It's got some funk. It's like I'm eating a little bit of camembert. Camembert? That's your blue cheese? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's got Roquefort. Yeah. You know, what, what I will say... I think say, the Smith & Cross has has, um, has Stilton or Roquefort. You know, St- Stilton, not Roquefort. Stilton's is the richer, sweeter of the two. And it's but, British. Yeah. British. Um, but no, I, I, I do get what you're saying in terms of, like, when you bite into one of those, like... Um, one of the actual sort of like the spots on the blue cheese where you're like, mm, that's where the end. That's that's where the that's, that's the where penicillin. The, yeah, that's where the bad stuff lives, or the, that's where the little bugs live. You get a little bit of bitterness with that, and and for me, I, I definitely get that bitterness. To me, uh, this this has a bit of an almondy finish to it. Um, mm. I, I love unaged spirits, and I I, I actually love the, that we are finishing with an unaged spirit, because usually you go in the opposite direction. You go from the a, the unaged to the age. I had a plan. You're a man with a plan, and uh, luckily I luckily I dissuaded you from uh, bringing in a, a bottle that was from the Canal Panama um, today, but, uh, but That's yeah. my Van Halen rum series. Yeah. We, we should do a whole pan. I mean, listen, that's what this whole thing is for. Like, eventually, you know, we can't do rum every month. You Rusty, need to do you want to do this. a Van Halen rum stream at some point? Panama! Alright, so just so everyone knows, I'm speaking to America. Uh, <laughs> America I had two favorite general. bands growing up. It was Van Halen and Metallica. And let's just say, I, I literally would be doing the dishes, washing the entire kitchen down every day as I had to. And my comments on Cinnamon's Trusel cookies weren't relevant. No, not like Van Halen. Russell is culturally expressing his mullet. <laughs> or his ability to grow one very fast. Uh, yeah, so getting back to this this particular expression, this spirit, this is so much lighter than you would think. All right, so I actually think the Smith & Cross had more it's esters going on. This is harsher, no, but it's... Smith & Cross Oh, oh okay, so... Well, this is a uh, same alcohol hard, level. Harsh is a hard word to define, though, so we, we need to get more specific. Right. So where I'm going with this is that you would think three months of fermentation, you're just going to get all the blue cheese, banana, apricot. What you're really getting is an expert really dialing in their product and giving you what you want and not anything else. This has less, com- not less complexity, no, uh, less elements... Than the Smith and Cross, fewer flavor notes competing for airtime. Yeah, there you go. It's a uh, more signal, less noise. That's a good way to put it, and and th- you know it, it brings up an interesting point about fermentation because you know fermentation is where all the flavor comes from. Distillation doesn't do a whole lot. Now, yes, the decision between a pot still versus a column still, like all these things, these are very important decisions, but. Really, fermentation from a from a pure perspective, a purist perspective, is where the flavor comes from. Oh, and in at Worthy Park, those few remaining like Worthy Parker. So think about like the f- fermentation pits there. That was Hunger Games going on, and they all beat the shit out of each other. And what was left from the dunder, the muck pits, and the wild yeasts and the bacteria that they dosed in there, they fought it out, and a few raised their hands at the end and said, I got this. 
Yep. Well, and again, and and again, uh, referring back to my Brian Davis interview, like he does probably the best job that I've ever heard describing how yeast have actually sort of um, domesticated humans in in their attempt to win their war over bacteria. And like these esters that we get here are, I believe they are secreted by the yeasts to signal to the bacteria to like basically fake out the bacteria that they're like, Oh no, like everything's chill now. Like, you know, you guys are, you guys are fine. You don't need to fight us anymore. And then the bacteria are like, Oh no, we're good now. Okay, great. And then the yeast are like, pa pa pa, you're done. So, um, you're going to have to go back to my, you know, my interview with, uh, with Brian Davis again to, to get the more accurate and scientifically, uh, relevant version of that. Argument. We need to but, borrow the puppets from good eats. So cause can act out the, <laughs> Fight this is, between yeast, yeast and uh, yeah. This is beer. starting to become a more Alton Brownian situation where we're starting to need uh, an actual like we could hire test an kitchen. Oh, I was thinking animation and props. You were thinking test kitchen. I'm, I'm thinking test kitchen and sock puppets. Yeah, all right, <laughs> no. cool. I have a whole extra downstairs like kitchen. Oh, I will be building that into your uh, new house. Well, recently. Rusty, if you're willing to let me soundproof it, then that's a separate conversation. I mean, it's already under. It's about equal underground to your house apartment yeah do you, do you see all the soundproofing tiles that we yeah. have in this underground room right now all right anyway russell you've been uh notably silent on this spirit because we've been talking over you the whole fucking time please uh weigh in yeah what do you think it's got it's got a certain sweetness to it but not in like the banana molasses like classic one that we're doing with earlier like a saltwater taffy i mean literally about to say taffy all thank right. you all right, i just steal my own words right. from me yeah let them talk yeah saltwater taffy but it's very smooth like you can this one doesn't get stuck in your teeth either. Exactly. It just goes down the palate <laughs> real quick. If you wanted something you could basically drink swiftly, like a clear tequila, to be honest. Like a 57% ABV tequila. Um, Russell, take a direct nosing of that again. It is not easy. It burns the hairs off the inside of your nose. Are we Are we watered? I mean, we've been I drinking tequila. Or not tequila. Sorry, we've been drinking rum for... About an hour now, so like my num my mouth is numb. So yeah, we can do anything down there. Mm, all um, right, that's what she said. Thank yeah, you. We're a little bit delayed on the, that's what she says, but you know. Uh, ooh, you get the olive straight up on the nose. Oh, there are some serious olive. Ten drops, ten drops of water in each of ours. A little bit of olive. Now it's salty. It went mm-hmm. from sweet to salty, like a mm-hmm. butterscotch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Loving that. I one thing that I cannot under emphasize to people if you are doing you this cannot seriously, overemphasize if you can't underemphasize it i can't not underemphasize there you go thank you <laughs> we like a monty turn, python turn, sketch turn, turn that the correct way uh what i want to emphasize is that like man like it's so easy for us to do this whole setup get all the cameras set up get this whole room cleared up get the get the lighting get the Instagram live, get all this stuff set up and then not get the pipettes in the water. But man, they make such a big difference. And and I try to standardize like for the, for the age, I added five drops for this one, which is at least to me a little bit hotter, a little bit, you know, a little bit less viscous. So I thought it could handle a little bit more water. Um, even if that's not necessarily a logical assumption, I added 10 and, and man, just boom, olive out of nowhere. So this is the type of exploration that you can do with a single Glencairn glass full of a single 
spirit. Hey, where would you buy a Glencairn glass anyway? Well, you could go to modernbarcart.com, of course. Uh, we actually, have better prices than Williams-Sonoma, as far as I remember. I believe we do. I mean, we don't we don't screw anybody over. So, uh, yeah, I, hopefully as we roll this out, what we can do is we can actually like do some kit, like do a little kit for our live stream tasting where we bundle a journal and some, some Glencairn glasses. I'll work on that uh, as we as we start rolling here again in 2021. But, uh, but yeah, it makes such a big difference. And like talking about the value of like not bringing an agenda into it, like, like curiosity is an agenda. Yeah. And so if you come into this with curiosity and you're willing to like take some, some very basic, um, measures to make sure that your tastings are consistent and that you're actually like doing stuff step by step by doing the visual, then the aroma, then the palate, you can really get a lot out of getting to know your spirits and, and adding a, a few drops of water is, is great for that. So, Hey, we might even start carrying like packs of these micro pipettes for that point. Like I hear we have a connection. Cheap. Yeah. I hear, uh, I hear one of us as their day job works for a company that could, uh, we'll, we'll talk offline. Let's get some, let's get some modern Barker and Nalgene bottles as well. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah. So add water, things change. Uh, that's the moral of the story today. We, we tasted through, uh, we named the episode that <laughs> yes, 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 Rusty, we can. Uh, but, uh, what are the overall takeaways? Um, we, we tasted through amazing spirits. I mean, we're, we, it was a huge privilege of course, to taste, uh, these two single Jamaicans. Um, but, uh, Ethan, I mean, what, what are your takeaways having done these all side by side? Because I, I know we've never all done these side by side. Apples, bananas, for the start, apples and bananas. Apples and bananas. So we started at the Rafi, the Rafi rums, and then we moved into what happens when you kind of unleash a, I don't want to say unleash, it's always been a capitalist enterprise here. What they did was they allowed a lot of creativity to come back and reimagine how they were going to run these distilleries and what products were going to come back to our markets. In the U.S., we're still, we're still operating behind the curve. But these kind of expressions also want to call out, again, acebevdc.com. Ace Beverage um, has some great Hampton single rums. These are really the forefront of single rums letting you understand the taste of a specific distillery the same way you would a scotch. So imagine if the only... Just, let's just take a step back. Imagine yep. if the only scotch you had was first... A bottle that just says scotch on the outside of it. So then, banknote. Yeah, banknote scotch. Then we'll say Famous. Cuddy Sark. Cuddy Sark. Then. And then Johnny Walker as your upper end. And then you didn't have any of your Obans or your Brooklatties or Kalilas. your... Yeah, yeah, yada, yada. All those things. What they're finally getting, and I hate to use the mm. language of the... Again, I'm trying to... I'm trying to infuse a little bit of the, like where we need to go culturally on this. Yep. Um, is I don't want to use Scotch as the analogy because that's usually using the language of the people who oppress them to define it. But you are finally getting to a point where where a, where Jamaican and other producers of rum are say, are saying that they deserve equal billing and the right to make single rums and the kind of things that are way more interesting and way more nuanced. And this is the art. This is in between. This is like the pop art, and this is the commodity. I love Smith and Cross's pop art. Smith and Cross as pop art is my. 
I'm not going to drop this mic. You paid for it. Yeah, it's all right. It's thirty bucks. It's it's sad that our thirty dollar mics are better than our hundred twenty dollar mics, but uh, they are. So, Here we are. Rusty, what are your takeaways, brother? All right. So I I listen to everything you're saying, but the Appleton Estate, just the fact that it was almost a cocktail in a glass on mm. its own. It's a liqueur almost. Yeah, I just enjoyed that. And maybe because we're doing them neat. I'm not imagining these. In cocktails, I'm not imagining them mixed up in any special way. The Appleton, the way it came across, just an old-fashioned in a bottle. That was delicious and surprising to me. Cause I'll buy you a bottle. Yeah. All right. Done. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think surprising is a nice way to put that. Um, I don't know if I was necessarily prepared for that, having tasted their base expression, which is, I think, a little thinner, a little bit less rich. A little funkier, though. Yeah, because I, there's I less age getting in the way of the funk. Correct. Same funk there, but age. Yep. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think this is a really well considered tasting. I think we went from like one end of a spectrum to almost like an upside down end of that spectrum in that it was unaged. And yet, like there was there was a lot of cool things to do with it. So I, 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 I. My only takeaway really is that I'm excited to do this sort of thing with other types of spirits. So, you know, we did, we kicked off the new year with this because obviously Ethan has been on a huge rum kick. Uh, we will probably return to rum at least one or two more times, if not more, this year. But what we're planning to do, just so that all you folks who are still listening can all just make a plan. And uh, that that thing is we're going to be sort of categorizing every month. We're going to publish a category of like three to four spirits that we're going to taste in this. And this is our this is not our bottle review episodes. We're still working on getting those kind of more off the ground. But these are just going to be our themed tasting episodes. And we're going to do our damnedest to publish these bottles that we're tasting ahead of time so that if you want to take one of those bottles and join us or all of them and join us one for one, you can do that. And and the reason why that's the case is because I don't think that like teaching Zoom cocktail classes is is a good use of my time right now because eventually we're all going to get vaccinated and we're going to be back to our lives. But this sort of thing where we do a deep dive on four, you know, three or four different bottles in a specific category, that's super nutritionally dense. And I want to keep on doing that. So it's timeless. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this, this information is not going to go away. You know, when you decide to buy a book that teaches you the same thing without having to freaking watch me on a zoom screen. Right. So, um, ultimately I'm just, I, I love how this went. I love the personal little epiphanies that I had in each glass, and I'm super excited to um, keep on rolling out these theme tastings. So over January, February, you can bet that I'm going to be planning these out for like basically the rest of this half of the year. So, hey, if anybody wants to make recommendations, podcast at modernbarcart.com. I've gotten half a dozen emails in the last couple of days from podcast listeners. So, this is the time to make your voice heard. If you want to influence what we're going to be doing and you want to like be a more active part of the community, great. Do that. I'm literally the guy behind the email. So email us. You'll get a personal response from me, and we will make sure that your voice is heard during one of our future-themed tastings. So last note on that. If you want to submit a spirit, Ooh, we have yes. done these tastings for submitted spirits. And yes, we do have an ethical code here, which is... We will not subject your spirit to the 
whatever this horse shit is, if we do not think it would be something that we would personally drink, we have respectfully turned away bottles. That's right. But if you tune in to the podcast and look at our last live stream. One of the second last, to last. One of the last. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Before the gift guide. Before the gift guide. Um, we do take we do take these bottles, and that's not a play for free liquor. That is a yep. if you want to be subject to this weird ass horseshit scrutiny, I'll yep. take yeah yeah I'll take it. Yep, send your bottles in. I'll you come e- yeah, same same email address podcast at modernbarcart.com. We'll send you a survey so that you can give us all the information about the bottle. We'll send you how to get uh, the bottle to us, and then we will get that bottle on this live stream. Last thing I want to say is that the next time we do a live stream, we are going to have a sponsor. And I'm very excited about this sponsor because it involves meat. It is Near Country Provisions. And uh, so we're giving a little free shout out towards the end of this live stream. I don't know if Adam from Near Country is going to be watching or not. But but uh, but yeah, so we're, we're going to be um, featuring some of their products in our stream. And, um, and hopefully... Uh, you folks will enjoy uh, the discount codes that we give you for that. So, uh, Russell, what's your uh, parting thought? Well, not to interrupt cause, but first off, meat is delicious. Agreed. Agreed. No interruption. Yeah, it can be. My parting thought is, once again, rub is complicated. Yes! It is so complicated. Like, scotch is simple. You got peaty and not meaty. Oh, geez. Let's not get into it. You got vodka, which is just how many times can you remove yeah. things? Well, vodka is a good one for that. Yeah. Vodka is addition by subscri- it's subtraction, yeah. which we should get into when I'm and sober. Let's be honest, gin, not in a cocktail, kind of weird. But like rum, it's really like disagree. how much rum do you want to taste? And how much do you want to taste it? And which rum did you choose? Which island did you get it from? Rum is basically the freewheeling free spirit. Rum, the archipelagized spirit. Boom. All right. Cheers, gents. Pick your glass. Let's do a little cheers. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We. Mm, that's delicious. We will catch you next time here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Rusty, why don't you take us out on those keys, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And 
keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, rum insights and hard to find bottles courtesy of Ethan Hall, philosophical waxiness and soundboard operation by Russell Gehring, and a little bit of live streaming magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production copyright 2021.